Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachmim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you've given us and set apart for us to enter into your presence, to worship you, and to experience you in our midst. Lord, I pray that as we come together in holy convocation and rest in your presence, that you will reveal yourself to us in new and powerful ways. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak into our hearts and our lives, that you will use me as a vessel for you and for your good and purposes, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose, and that you will speak through me life-giving words. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. This week we are in Parsha Behar Bechuchotai. It's a double Parshot uh, from Leviticus. It's the last two Parshot of the book of Aichra, the book of Leviticus. Um, and in particular, I want to focus uh, on the second Parsha, on Parsha Bechuchotai, uh, beginning with chapter 26, verse 3. So you can go ahead and turn there in preparation. Um, but as we get prepared to dive into the scriptures, uh, I just want to talk about how awesome the God we serve is. You know, a lot of times we lose sight of his faithfulness, not that he's not being faithful, but we get bogged down in the cares of this world and the things that are happening around us and the people that are causing us problems and the things that are going on. And unfortunately, if we're honest to ourselves and honest to God, as humans, we get bogged down in failing to uh, live up to the righteous expectations as a believer, as the Holy Spirit leads us. Uh, we are constantly, as Paul says, falling short of the glory of God. And in spite of all of that, in spite of the fact that mentally, spiritually, emotionally, we're just not always there when it comes to the body of Messiah and what the Lord is doing, he is ever faithful to those that love him. He is ever faithful as a father to protect, to guide, to care for. And by the grace of God, he never forgets. You know, I've said this for a long time that uh, God doesn't have plan A and plan B. God has his plan, his will, and that's it. God didn't create Adam and Eve and then go, oh, I did not see that fruit thing coming. What do I do now? I got to figure that I got to fix this. How do I... God created Adam and Eve knowing that they were going to choose the temptation of sin, knowing that they were going to choose sin, knowing that because of their choice, all of humanity that comes after them is going to be marred and affected by sin. And he created us anyways. And I've said this before over and over again, if I were God, I wouldn't have wasted my time. Knowing that the creation that I created specifically to receive my love and to be loved by is going to turn their back on me, I would have never wasted my time. But we serve a great and faithful God, a loving and merciful God, a gracious God. And grace and mercy didn't begin at the cross. Grace and mercy didn't even begin at Sinai. Grace and mercy didn't even begin with the exodus from Egypt. Grace and mercy began before the Lord ever spoke the first word of creation into existence. Because the Lord knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew that you and I were going to, at some point in our lives, walk away from him. He knew the mistakes we were going to make, the tarnished uh, uh, reality we were going to put on the image and likeness of God that we were created in. And yet he created us anyways. 
He created us specifically to give us salvation in Messiah Yeshua. I like to reword John 3.16 and say, For God so loved the world that he created us so he could give his only begotten son. Our God never forgets or forsakes us, not because we are ever prevalent in his mind, although we are. He never forgets or forsakes us because no matter what we do, his plan was always to restore us to him. No matter how far away from him we get, no matter how bad we make things, he is always there waiting for us to return. And that's why it's so important that we hold to the biblical understanding, the Hebraic understanding of the word repentant, which comes from the Hebrew word teshuvah, which means to return, to turn back to him and to walk into his loving embrace. And that is the reality of the words that we read in Parsha Bechuchotai this week. That is the reality of what the Lord is trying to show us, is that no matter what we do, no matter how far we walk away from him, no matter the consequence it puts on our lives, no matter the judgment that comes, and by the way, we may not be facing eternal judgment, but there is consequence and judgment here on earth. You sin, you pay the consequence. It's just the reality of it. But no matter the consequence, no matter the problems that it develops in our life from there, the Lord has never forgotten or forsaken us, and he's always there waiting for us to return to him. And no matter what he does to, for lack of a better way of wording it, punish us, you know, when I have to punish my children, I don't punish them for the fun of it. I punish them to uh, restore them, to correct them, to bring them back to where they're supposed to be. And the same is true with the Lord. He does punish us. It may not be him walking by and slapping the fire out of the back of our heads like he should sometimes, but he does punish us. You ever notice when we're walking outside of the will of God, life gets really difficult? It's God punishing. God's not making it difficult, but he has removed the blessing that goes with walking in faithfulness with him. And as soon as we return in faithfulness, that blessing is restored. That again doesn't mean his provision is gone or his care is gone or his love is gone or his mercy is gone. It is ever-present and ever-prevalent. But there is punishment that comes with sin. In uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3, and this is a very important passage. It's actually the root and foundation for what we know as the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy 28, 27 through 30. Uh, but here in Leviticus 26, verse 3 says, If you walk in my statutes, keep my mitzvot, and carry them out, then I will give you rains in their season. The land will yield its crop, and the trees of the field will yield their fruit. The word there for keep is a word that means to guard, to protect his word, to protect his commandments. If we keep his statutes and his, uh, if we walk in his statutes and we keep his mitzvot and carry them out, then I will give you rains and their seasons. The land will yield its crop and the trees of the field will yield their fruit. We skip down to verse six. I will bring shalom. I will bring peace in the land and you will lie down with no one making you afraid. I will remove dangerous beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. Verse nine, I will turn toward you, make you fruitful and multiply you and I will confirm my covenant with you. And verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you. My tabernacle, his mishkan, his dwelling place among us. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God, and you will be my people. I am Adonai, your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk 
upright. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. The Lord wants to dwell in our midst. He wants to tabernacle amongst us. He wants to make his presence real in our lives and in the lives of those that we encounter. Adam and Eve got to walk daily with the Lord in the garden. I don't think it was by surprise that they ran and made garments because they knew the Lord was coming in the middle of the day to meet with them. They didn't suddenly go, oh, I hear footsteps, let's go get some fig leaves real quick. They were already wearing garments when the Lord came to walk with them in the garden in the middle of the day. I believe that this was a daily occurrence because the Lord created us that we could be in his presence, that we could experience his presence among us. And sin caused a separation of creation and creator. The Lord says his presence cannot dwell in the midst of sin. And this is why Israel was told over and over again in the Torah to cast those that are sinning out of your midst, to get them out of the camp so they don't bring down the rest of the camp because his presence cannot dwell in the midst of sin. We were created to dwell in his presence, but we chose sin. And so instead, he placed his presence in our midst. We can't be in his presence in the sense that Adam and Eve were in the garden. We can't even be in his presence in the sense that Aharon, Aaron, the high priest, was in the Holy of Holies. But he can be in our midst. His presence can be among us. And here he says that he wants to make his tabernacle among us and he wants to walk among us and be our God and us be his people. This is the word he speaks over Egypt or over Israel and he goes on in verse 13, I am Adonai your God who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And the same is true for us as believers. He brought us out of slavery to sin so that we would no longer be slaves to the enemy. He broke the bars of our yoke and made us walk upright. He broke the chains and the bondage of the enemy and sin and and demonic oppression and forces so that we could walk upright in the presence of the Lord. But then he goes on in verse 14 and he says, but if you will not listen to me nor carry out all these mitzvot, these commandments, and if you reject my statutes and if you, your soul abhors my ordinances, notice he says, if you walk faithfully with me and my soul will not abhor you. He doesn't say, uh, and then here he says, if you walk away from me and your soul abhors my ordinances, so that you do not keep all my mitzvot, but instead break my covenant, then I will do the following to you in return. I will appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever that will dim the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. You will sow your seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. Notice, all of these really horrible things are a remove, removal of the things he said he would do when we walk in faithfulness with him. It's a separation of us and God's promises because we separated ourselves from his presence. But then he goes on and he says here, if you refuse to walk in my ordinances and statutes, if you refuse to uphold my commandments, then these things will happen to you. And then he goes on in verse 18, if you, in spite of these bad things that have already occurred to you, if you, in spite of these things, will not listen to me, then I will chastise you seven times more for your sins. And then he goes into what that will look like. Verse 21, if that didn't get your attention, if you keep walking contrary to me and will not listen to me, then I will multiply the plagues on you seven times like your sins. I will send the wild animals among you, which will rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few, make you so few in number that your roads will become deserted. Verse 23, now if in spite still, if in spite of these things, you will not be uh, chastened by me, but walk contrary to me instead, then I will also walk contrary to you. Notice we get, this is now the, the fourth 
if you don't walk, if you continue to not walk, if you continue to still not walk, we get to the fourth one, and it's the first time that he says that uh, if we don't turn back to him, he will walk contrary to us. Verse 23, now if in spite of these things you will not be chastened, chastened by me, but walk contrary to me and said, then I will also walk contrary to you. Then I will strike you, I myself, seven times for your sins. Verse 27, yet if in spite of this, if a separation, a physical, literal separation from the presence of God isn't enough, if yet in spite of this you will not listen to me but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in wrath. So I will chastise you seven times for your sins. And then verse 20, 32, I will make the land desolate and your enemies settling there will be astonished at it. Remember the whole purpose to us going into the promised land was so that the world, the nations around us, and particularly the nations in the promised land would see us and go, oh, there's something special about these people. There's something about this. Israel was called out to be a light to the nations. There's something about these people. We want to know what they've got. We want to know what's special, what's different about them than us. We want what they have. We want to be a part of that. And the Lord says, if we don't walk right with him, that he will make our land desolate and our enemies settling there will be astonished at it. Whereas when we go into the promised land of the book of Joshua, Rahab tells the spies, we've been scared to death of you for 40 years because we've known what God did for you in Egypt and we've known what he's done for you in the wilderness. Word has come back to us. We've been scared of you this entire time and of your God. They were astonished at what the Lord has done. And when the Lord removes us from the promised land, when the Lord has to do all of these things to us because we refuse to walk in his ways and live a righteous life unto him, then the nations would be astonished at what the Lord has taken away from us. But in verse 39, those of you who are left in the land of your enemies will rot away because of their iniquity and because of the iniquities of the forefathers, they will rot away with them. Verse 40 is where things turn around. But if they confess their iniquity and that of their fathers and the treachery they committed against me and how they walked contrary to me, in other words, if they repent, in return, I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And if at that time their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they accept the punishment for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Verse 44, yet for all of that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I hate them into utter destruction. And break my covenant with them, for I am Adonai their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am Adonai. Lord says, in spite of all of this, that's six times that Israel had a chance to turn back to him. When we just read through this, this chapter, that's six times that the Lord removed blessing, removed blessing, removed blessing, removed blessing, removed promise, removed promise, removed promise, six times that they would have had a chance to return back to him, that they didn't. He says, even in spite of all of that, I will neither forsake you or forget you. I will neither walk away from you. I will not forget my covenant with you. I will bring you back into myself. I will be your God. You will be my people. He promises this over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but that's an encouraging word. Because I know me, and I know my life, and I know the mistakes that I've made, and I know the sins that I've walked in, and I know the heart, harm I've caused to other people and to God. I know the hearts that I've wrecked. I know the lives that I've destroyed. I know the people that I've made a mess of. 
And yet God never forsook me. God never walked away from me. God never forgot me. And he was always standing right there calling me back. You know, the old poem, uh, Footprints in the Sand, or whatever it's called. I think it's just called Footprints, right? Uh, where he says, look, when there was just one set, it's because I picked you up. You were too much of a train wreck to be left on your own. I just picked you up. It wasn't just your feet that you were seeing there and I walked away. It was that I picked you up because you couldn't do it on your own. Because there was no way that you were going to walk and be guarded and protected. There was no way that you were going to be okay in this situation. And the Lord tells us that no matter what, no matter how far we get away from him, he will never forget us. And he will never walk away from us. And he will never leave us. And his truth and his covenant and his salvation and his redemption will always be ours waiting for us to come back to him. Always. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Everybody loves to quote this passage of scripture. But what people don't realize is that at this point in time in history, it was when Israel had just finished building the temple. Solomon's temple had just been completed. They had just had a consecration celebration for over a week and then celebrated Sukkot as the first festival, uh, the first Moed, the first appointed time celebrated in the new temple being, that was built. Uh, they had just witnessed the presence of God, the fire of God fall on the altar and on the Holy of Holies as it did uh, at the end of Exodus with the tabernacle. They just witnessed all of these great things happen. Uh, the priest fall in their face, Solomon fall in their face, everything going on. Second Chronicles 7, uh, they are finishing up the celebration and the Lord begins to speak to Solomon. And he says in verse 12, then Adonai appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there is no rain or if I command the locusts to devour the land or if I send pestilence among my people. In order for us to get to if my people are called by my name, we have to first go through verse 12 and 13. Because verse 12 and 13, if you pay attention to it, is what we just read will happen when we walk away from the Lord in Leviticus 26. So what we read will happen when we walk away from the Lord and the blessings and curses of the end of Deuteronomy. And so here, the Lord is telling Solomon, the time will come that my people will walk away from me. And all of these bad things, all of these ferocious things, all of these situations that I never wanted my people to be in will be what they have chosen to walk in. I didn't choose to put it on them. They have chosen to walk in it. But if this occurs, if I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, when my people who, over whom my name is called humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. In order for us to get to the if sentence, we have to recognize that we walked away from the Lord. We have to recognize that we chose to walk outside the ordinances, the covenants of the Lord. We have to recognize that we chose to take sin as opposed to grace and mercy. We have to recognize that we caused the problems that we're in. The Lord has nothing but good and blessing waiting for us if we walk faithfully with him. Anything opposite of good and blessing is not him, it's the enemy. It's outside of the will of God. And we cannot blame him for that. But 14, everybody loves to quote 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people are called by my name, but we never want to admit that in order for us to have to call upon him for, uh, for, for uh, forgiveness, in order for us to have to humble ourselves and pray to seek his face and turn for our evil ways, we had to first turn to evil ways. We had to first choose sin. We had to first choose to walk away from him. And we chose to take the consequences that go along with that. I'm a big fan of teaching my children consequence of choice and action. Big fan of it. 
My children choose something, you know, they, we go to the ice cream shop and they choose a flavor of ice cream without tasting it and they don't like it. You know what? That's life. You either eat it or you throw it away and you don't get anything else. You chose that. That was your choice. I'm not going to suffer and pay twice because you chose something ridiculous. Not to know. Not to know. Every time he sees cotton candy, like the actual bag of the garbage cotton candy, every time he sees it, can I have cotton candy? It doesn't matter how many times you say not to know. Every time you ask for it and you try it, you hate it. You all but throw up over it. You won't touch it. Why do you keep it? No, no, I like it. I like it. Eliana will ask for it. We'll give Eliana some because we know she likes it. We don't give her much, but we'll let her have some because we know she likes it. And Natsell will take a look. Oh, I don't like that. That's a, see, that's why we didn't spend the three bucks on stupid cotton candy for you because you don't like it and you don't listen. I should spend the three bucks and make them eat it. But, uh, the, but the reality is this consequence of our choices as a part of a walk as created beings. We make choice. We have free will. We choose to eat of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. We chose to be removed from the garden. We chose to walk away from the will of God in our own lives. And there are consequences that go along with that. When those consequences come across, if we then turn our hearts back to the Lord and repent, he is there waiting for us. By the way, wake-up call, even if we don't choose to turn, he's still there waiting. Because he wants nothing but for us to come back to him. He wants nothing but for us to be restored in his midst and in his presence. Matthew 6, uh, I'm sorry, 16. Matthew 16, beginning with verse uh, uh, 13. says, When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They answered him, Some say John the Immerser, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah the son of the living God. Yeshua said to him, verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also tell you that you are Peter upon this rock. I will build my community and the gates of Sheol will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will, be, will have been forbidden in heaven and what you permit on earth will have been permitted in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Read these words he speaks to Peter. Big promises, right? Big, big promises. Huge. A lot of burden to carry on the shoulders that you're going to be that guy. Big promises, right? But do you realize that when Yeshua spoke those words over Peter that he also was aware that Peter was going to deny him three times? Do you realize when the Lord spoke grace and mercy and forgiveness over you, he knew you were going to walk away from him anyways? Do you realize that when he breathed the breath of life into your lungs the day you were born that he knew you were going to choose sin and he gave that breath to you anyways? The breath that we use to worship him, he gave us in spite of what he knew we would become. Because his desire is in spite of all of that, that we would return to him so that he could be in our midst and we could be in his. So that he could be our God and we could be his people. We go forward in this reality of, of uh, Peter. We go to John chapter 14. I'm sorry, John chapter 21. This is after Yeshua was resurrected. This is after he's reappeared to some of the, the believers. He now uh, appears to the disciples early in the morning as they're out fishing, by the way, just to show you humanity. Messiah dies. They 
recognize that perhaps he's resurrected. They haven't seen his body yet, but they're not really sure where he's at. But either way, they know the one they've followed and they've served has died. He's in the ground somewhere. And what do the disciples do? They go back to what they knew before. They walked for three years with Messiah in ministry. They recognized he prophesied his death and his resurrection, but when it seemed like all was lost, they reverted back to who they used to be. They went back to fishing. Chapter 21, verse 15, the book, book of John, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Yeshua said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. He said to, them, to him, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him for a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Yeshua said to him, feed my sheep. You know why he asked him, do you love me three times? Because he denied him three times. He was redeeming and restoring the sin, the, 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 the negative action that Peter had walked in. He was redeeming and restoring Peter's life, life and reestablishing the promises he spoke to Peter. He was showing Peter that no matter what Peter did, he was never going to leave him or forsake him. He was never going to forget his covenant with him. And the same is true for you and I. No matter what we do, no matter how far we walk away from him, his covenants are true with his creation. He created us to experience his presence. He created us to be in him. He created us to know his salvation. His only plan, his only will was Yeshua. Everything that happened from creation itself through to the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Yeshua, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh was specifically to bring us to Yeshua. There was always his purpose and his plan. And no matter what life choices we make, no matter how far down the rabbit hole we go, he is there waiting for us, wanting to draw us back to himself, calling us to be restored to him. He is there promising that he loves us and cares for us and will never leave us. John 1 verse 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and apart from him nothing was made that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. Verse 10, He is in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But whoever did receive him, those trusting in his name to these, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of a bloodline, nor of human desire, nor of man's will, but of God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We looked upon his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. What was it he told us in Leviticus 26 that he wanted to do? Verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul will not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out forth out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves and would have bro I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. And in John 1, Again, verse uh, 13, uh, sorry, verse 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We looked upon his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the person of Yeshua, he made the promise of Leviticus 22, 26 reality. 
that through our returning to him and the only way we can truly wholeheartedly and entirely return to him is through the blood of the lamb Yeshua Mashiach that is the only means of salvation restoration redemption forgiveness grace and mercy it is the only way we walk in the presence of the father is through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua and he tells us that the promise he spoke to us in Leviticus 26 is fulfilled in the person of Yeshua who is the word made flesh that tabernacles amongst us that resides within us. Jeremiah 31 says that that word is now etched upon our heart and our flesh. Why? Because Yeshua now resides within us. Because the Holy Spirit which breathed the words of Genesis through Revelation is now a part of our lives. It is now within us. Those words inspired by him is now a part of our DNA. The Lord tells us he will never leave or forsake us no matter how bad we mess things up, no matter how far we walk away from him. No matter what we do, he will never leave us or forsake us. The entire reality of Leviticus 26 and Parsha B'chuchotai, the entire reality of this Parsha is that the key to revival is repentance. The key to repentance is return. We have this messed up mentality in the body of Messiah today that repentance is just asking forgiveness and we just keep on with life. Oh Lord, I lied again, forgive me. Okay, cool, go on about to lie again. That's why we make good politicians as humans. So we can just keep lying and act like everything's all right. But the reality is, true repentance is not a continuation of the mistakes in the first place. True repentance is walking away from the sin that we've been delving in, the sin that we've been living in. True repentance is a return to the Lord through Messiah Yeshua. If we want to see the realities of Chapter 7, Chronicles chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the reality of God's restoration. We must first recognize that we are called by his name, that we must humble ourselves and pray, seek his face, and turn from our evil ways. We must repent. We must make teshuvah to return back to him. And listen, this isn't just a message for non-believers. Because one of the primary reasons the power of God is not as prevalent in the body of Messiah today as it should be, not that it's not available, not that he's not among us, but one of the primary reasons why the power of God is not as prevalent in the body of Messiah today as it should be is because you and I are screwed up people still. And he wants to restore us in fullness. We're still sinning people. We're still walking in the ways of the world. And God is calling us to humble ourselves and return back to him in fullness so that then... He will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. We want to see the fullness of the power of God in our midst. We must return in the fullness of the power of repentance. We want to see revival fall out of Shavuot. It's right around the corner, people. A big, important, powerful Shavuot. Every one of them are important, but this one in particular, there is so much happening. There's so much going. Look at the world around us. Look at the things that are happening. We're seeing biblical prophecy be revealed before our eyes. We're watching as the soon return of Messiah is about to happen. We will see Messiah's feet rest on the Mount of Olives and the mountain split in two soon, and I pray even in our days. But before that occurs, the body of Messiah must start desiring to walk in his ways in a way that the world around us will see his grace, his mercy, and his love, that the world around us will see that there is a restored people powered by, not the Duracell battery and little rabbits running around that never end but powered by the Holy Spirit Amen. we want to see his presence in our midst we must return in full repentance and by the way full repentance full return means walking away from sin what does the Bible tell us sin is 
Sin is the transgression of the word of God, the transgression of the law. Yeshua says in John chapter 14, if you love me, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while. The world will no longer behold me, but you will behold me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Do you honor his word? Do you recognize that the word made flesh lives within you? And it's not a matter of honoring the word of God. And I don't mean just Matthew, or Genesis through, through Deuteronomy. I mean Genesis through Revelation. The entirety of the word of God, which includes that part in Matthew 5 that says if the Lord, and I'm paraphrasing here, but says if the Lord resides within us, he takes care of the internal so the external doesn't fall prey to sin. We got to live in it all. The fullness of the word of God. As I said earlier in the service, there is no old versus new. There is the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And that word was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us and now resides in our hearts and is empowered by the Holy Spirit which inspired those words to be authored through the hands of man so that we can live a life that is glorious unto the Lord and speaks the presence of God's salvation to the world around us. But first we must repent of our evil ways. We must humble ourselves and turn back to him so that we can see the fullness of revival that is awaiting us. Joel 2, which is quoted in Acts 2, says in the last days he will pour out his spirit. Did the world end with the outpouring of the spirit in Acts 2? No. Did Messiah set up his eternal kingdom on earth at the end of Acts 2? No. Are we still waiting for that Messiah, for Messiah to return and his eternal kingdom to be set up here on earth? Absolutely which means that that revival spoken of in Joel 2 and quoted in Acts 2, that revival is still coming. It is still awaiting us. And he wants to pour out his spirit in a mighty and powerful way. But he's not going to pour it out on Joe Schmo, nobody down the street that could care less about him. He wants to pour it out upon the people that he has redeemed so that we can take it to the world around us. So that Joe Schmo, nobody down the street will fill the power and presence of the Lord through his people. But revival begins with repentance. It begins with a recognition that we have messed up. That we have ruined our relationship with the Lord. And I believe this is a message more important for the body of Messiah than for non-believers. Because the body of Messiah is jacking things up left and right, people. We are not unified. The Lord calls us to unity in Him, and we're not unified. Not even a little bit. We divide over the dumbest possible things, and we give the enemy ground body of Messiah by doing so. We must repent. We must come back restored in the presence of the Lord so that we can see this Joel 2 outpouring. I believe we are at the precipice of this occurring. We are at the cusp of these things happening, but the body of Messiah must repent so that we can be made in the fullness of the vessel that the Lord has called us to be for his presence in this world so that the darkness cannot and will not overpower the light.
Because you and I have the light within us, people. It's time that we fall on our faces in repentance before the Lord every waking day. Because whether we like it or not, we're still going to mess up. But the Lord is there waiting for us. And he's telling us, he's whispering it in our ears, I've never left you, never forsaken you. It was your back turn, not mine. It was you who chose to leave me. I never left you. I'm here waiting. Hosea was told to marry a prostitute and to take her back again when she left him. Why? Because the Lord said that's how we treat him. He brought us unto himself literally as his bride, as believers. He brought us unto himself as his bride and we continue to wander off after the cares of this world, prostituting ourselves among the world around us. But he is still constantly bringing us back, bringing us back. It's time that we return to the Lord our God in full repentance, as Hosea 14 says. It's time that we give him everything that we are, that we wholly submit ourselves humbly before him because every great fall, including every sin, is prefaced by pride. The lack of repentance is prefaced by pride and pride is sin. We must return in full faithfulness and humbleness to the Lord our God so that we can see the power and the might of him tabernacling amongst us so that the world around us may be changed for the good and the glory of his kingdom. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you, Lord. I pray that you cut to the very depths of our heart. Father, that you mar our flesh that we may return to you humbly and broken in our sinful nature to be restored and renewed whole again in you, Lord. Father, I pray that you bring the body of Messiah together in unity and your might and power that Joel 2 can be fulfilled in our midst today. Lord, I pray that you use each and every one of us hearing these words today to share the light of the kingdom of Messiah with the world around us. Father, bring us back to you in faithfulness of restoration. Humble our hearts that we may fully repent. And Father, we desire nothing more than that your presence dwells in our midst. Bo Yeshua Meshechinu. Come Yeshua, our Messiah. B'shem Yeshua. Amen.